Good morning, everyone. Lovely to see you all. If we've, um, we've not met before, my name is Johnny, and it's, a, it's lovely to have you with us this morning. Um, we are doing something very excited this morning. We are doing a, a standalone preach. We don't do many of these, um, but we're not doing a, a, the preach this morning as part of any particular series, um, literally just across all of our sites. There are different um, sermons that have been given this morning, preachers, just addressing kind of things that we want to um, talk about as a site. And this morning, what I want to talk about is the Holy Spirit, seeking the Holy Spirit, Um, a remarkably simple thing for us to talk about, and yet something that is incredibly important, asking for the Holy Spirit, seeking the Holy Spirit, is one of the most important things, if not the most important thing that as human beings we can do. So my question really for us this morning, um, as I'm speaking, is are we, are we eager for more of the Holy Spirit? Are we hungry for more of the Holy Spirit? Do we desire more of the presence of God? You remember that a couple of weeks ago, many of us would have been there. Terry Virgo, who was the, the founder of New Frontiers, the family of churches that we're a part of, came and spoke to us at the Grace Center. He was speaking on the Holy Spirit. Um, and he actually came and spoke just before we went on, on holiday for, for four nights to a, a caravan in Dorset. And perhaps like many of you, when I go on holiday, I always get very excited about what book I'm going to take with me or books. And I spend a little bit too much time thinking about what books I'm going to take and not enough time packing. Um, And so I often come up with all kinds of odds and ends of clothes that I take. But because Terry Vogo, the night before we went, had come and spoke, I then took Terry's book with me, No Well-Worn Paths. Anyone read this book? There we go. Enjoy it, Wendy? Very good. It is an incredible book. Um, It was so inspiring for me to to read. It basically tells the story of how Terry got saved and was baptized in the Spirit, and then really how he he left his um, full-time job when he was 23 and gave himself to full-time ministry working with churches and how New Frontiers then started and went from you know, this group of people who were just eager to see the Holy Spirit move and the church um, grow and then how it's expanded into this network of churches which is on every continent and, and we're a part of as well. So it's just so inspiring. It left me with two like, great desires when I finished reading it. Is one, boy, do I want to know God more. Like Terry, just in such an inspiration as a person, he used to like, go to church for hours on a, on a Sunday morning and then we'd go and arrange with a friend to then pray during the afternoon. And then because his church didn't do an evening service, he would then go to another church in the evening just because he wanted to spend more time in the presence of God. He tells about like, meeting up with friends and arranging prayer meetings to just go and, and seek God together. Um, so it left me with an intense desire to know God better. And also, just an intense desire for, for God to be known in heaven, that, for, that we would be going and be able to look back in, in a few years' time and, and see all that God has done in heaven. He's already done so much in us and through us, but we're, we're looking forward to what he's going to do in the future. We're saying, actually, God, we don't want to settle for where we are at the moment, however good that might be. We want to keep seeking you and being bold in, in evangelism and witness. We want to see you know, the haven't sites swell just with people coming and, and knowing Jesus and being saved. And I, don't, I wouldn't say I'm alone in the room in either of those two things. I'd say if we were a Christian, we might be kind of disillusioned with our faith. We might be in a place of, of just feeling quite distant from God. And yet I would say we want those two things. We say, I want to know God better if I can. And I want to see people that I know impacted with the grace and love of Jesus. Amen? Amen. Problem is... 
there's often this great big gap between where we're at at the moment and our experience and our enjoyment of God's grace and the Holy Spirit, and then there's where we want to be. And it's, the question is, well, how do we go from A to B? Like so many of us, we would struggle even to, you know, to pray during the day for a couple of minutes, let alone arranging prayer meetings impromptu with friends to go and seek the Holy Spirit together. Um, we want to see the people who haven't enjoyed the gospel, and yet we feel often so weak, so poor, so rubbish at evangelizing and sharing our faith. The Bible has got at least two wonderful pieces of news and encouragement for us. If we are feeling this disconnect between this is where I'm at at the moment in my relationship with God and my desire to make him known, and actually here is where we want to be as a site in terms of our enjoying God's grace and, and people in, in having, getting saved and coming to know Jesus— Two bits of encouragement. One is that we are not the first Christians to feel like this. And in fact, in the passage that we're going to read in a moment, we're going to get an insight into a, a prayer meeting um, in the book of Acts with the early church. Um, and actually, kind of key in the passage and in the prayer meeting is Peter, who just months before, he is then quite key in this prayer meeting, was denying Jesus. And when he's asked about his faith by a, you know, a servant girl, says, I don't, even, I don't even know Jesus, you know, which probably if we're asked about our faith, we probably don't go that far to say like, hey, I, I don't even know any Christians. Like if you come around to my house, there's no Christians there. I don't see any Christians on Sunday mornings. And um, the other thing, I think this is quite funny, just before our passage, there's a moment where the, the priests are interrogating Peter and John, as we'll see in a sec. And it says that they're astonished at Peter and John because they are uneducated common men. And so you know, that was great for Peter and John. But clearly, like, there was nothing very impressive about them in themselves. Okay, they were weak, they were foolish, they were uneducated, they were ordinary people. We tend to think they're like spiritual superheroes, and they absolutely weren't. They were just these normal men and women. Even better, then, as an encouragement, is the fact that knowing God better and seeing God move in heaven is not something which is ultimately down to us. That is not something that we are ultimately responsible for. It's not something that we can actually do, right? We can't take our hearts and say, well, yeah, heart, get more passionate about God and it just happened. It doesn't work like that. We also can't just go up to our friend and tell them about Jesus and say that, you know, it's all on us to make, to, yeah, to help them to see Jesus and his grace and his love. There is nothing that we can do about friends, families, neighbors, colleagues who don't know Jesus to, to then shine the light of the gospel into their life. We are absolutely powerless to do that. And the amazing encouraging thing is that these are both things which only the Holy Spirit can do. Only the Holy Spirit can flame that, that desire for God, give us that faith, or oh, want to know God better. Only the Holy Spirit can move in heaven and can, can turn people away from the lives they're leaving to see, um, leading to see more of Jesus. We need the Holy Spirit poured out on us. And the amazing thing is that the Bible is super clear that God eagerly desires to give us the Holy Spirit. So Luke 11 verse 13, Jesus says, if you then know you are evil, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? That teaches us two really important things about seeking the Holy Spirit together. Number one, God is very eager to give us the Holy Spirit. We're not having to, as I've said before, like twist his arm. He's not reluctant. We've not got to coax him, you know, from heaven and say, can you please give us more of the Holy Spirit? And he says, okay, well, you know, if you're good. All right, he is so eager to give us the Holy Spirit in a way which a parent is so eager to give their child gifts at Christmas. Okay, you don't have to twist his arm. He's so keen. But also, he doesn't tend to just give us the Holy Spirit out of the blue 
at random. God wants us to be partners in the process of him giving us the Holy Spirit. And notice Jesus tells us this. He says, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? To those who ask him. Seeking the Holy Spirit continually as a site, both for ourselves and for our town, is the most important thing that we can do. And so the question then is, so how do we do it? How do we seek the Holy Spirit? And that's the really simple question that we're asking this morning, which brings us to our passage. We're in Acts chapter 4, as it says on the screen. We're going to start in verse 23, and we're going to read through to verse 31. Basically, to give a little bit of context to the passage, what's happened is that Jesus has been crucified and has then been resurrected and has ascended to heaven. Um, and he's basically told his, his disciples and the early Christians to, to stay in, um, I was about to say to stay in heaven, to stay in Jerusalem um, and to wait for the Holy Spirit to fill them. Um, and so what they do is they wait and then at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes in and fills all of the believers and they have the tongues of fire and they speak in other languages and they preach and thousands of people are saved. And then in Acts chapter three, Peter and John, two of the apostles are, are walking and there's a man who is, is lame and asks them for money. And instead of giving him money, they say, like, get up and walk. And then he's healed. Um, and then this gathers quite a crowd, as you might expect. And so the Sanhedrin, the religious leaders, they basically take Peter and John and they bring them in for, for questioning um, and they threaten them. That's the key thing. They threaten them. They say, don't go and, and preach the resurrection of Jesus anymore. And then that brings us to the passage where we start in verse 23, which says, on their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them, the, the threats. And when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And then... Is the key bit. It says, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. So if we want to be like the, the early church, we want to receive the Holy Spirit, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to speak the word of God boldly because of that filling, then the question is, well, how do we go about seeking the Holy Spirit? And just want to draw out three really simple principles or like quick um, lessons for us to learn from this passage about how it is we go about seeking the Holy Spirit. And I've got three, three W's. We seek God in, in weakness, we seek God in worship, and we seek God in witness. So let's go through those together. First of all, we seek God in, in weakness. I love the wonderfully simple way that this passage begins. It says, on their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. So they've got this, this hardship. They've been ruffled up and they've got these, these threats which are being made against them. And then what happens? The response is, 
that they, they get together and they pray. They have a prayer meeting. Like Notice this prayer meeting where the Holy Spirit is coming and shaking the place where they are and filling them. It's not come on the back of like this spontaneous 24 hours of praise and worship and then it comes. It comes because they've been ruffled up and threatened and then they go and they get with the church and they pray. These threats are not the church's cue to, to start stressing about well, what's going to happen. Should we, keep pre- should we keep preaching the resurrection or should we stop or should we just lie low for a while or take it somewhere else? Actually, it's the church's cue not to stress but to seek God together. Prayer for the early church was not a last resort but a first response. And actually, as a site, as we have been hearing about this morning, there are a whole lot of us who are going through some really challenging situations We've got battles with health or health of friends and family, both mental and physical. We've got wrestling and agonizing over the salvation of our, our friends and family and loved ones. We've got facing disappointment and loss. And some of us, we might just feel kind of exhausted. A bit like Bilbo Baggins, like too little butter spread over too much bread. Just a bit tired and, and worn out and weary. And I think there are at least, again, three encouragements or things for us to learn from the early church here who, who turned to pray in response to their suffering. I think number one is Christians this side of eternity, our lives will be characterized by suffering. Like one day, God is going to get rid of all suffering. He's going to get rid of all pain. He's going to get rid of all tears and sickness and death. But we are not living in that moment at the moment. At the moment, we get the foretaste of that in Jesus' resurrection. But we are not there yet, which means that we, like the early church, are going to experience hardship. And that is going to be like the bread and butter of our lives. We are not in heaven yet. And so we can expect that we're going to face suffering that is perplexing, that just challenges us right to our core. But secondly, we've got hope because God is a God of compassion and comfort. So as I said, he's going to remove all pain one day. But actually, he is so compassionate that he makes our times of suffering now, not just pointless or or worthless, even though sometimes they can feel like that. But actually, he takes our times of suffering, as Thomas was praying at the end, and our times of weakness and hardship, and and he offers us an invitation. Like any time where we are suffering or going through hardship, we can expect that he is going to be looking to humble us, to bring us to our our knees, show us our lack of self-sufficiency, that we can't go and do it all ourselves, even though we so quickly tend to, to operate like that. He's going to force us, like the early church, to say, actually, no, I can't do it all myself. I need to depend on God. I need to trust him for all of my daily bread, all of my daily needs, that's what the early church do. They see the threats and they say, well, like, God, we need you. We can't do this ourselves." And then so the final thing to, to learn from the early church there with seeking God in weakness is that in suffering, prayer should be our first response and not our last resort. Now, often in suffering, we know that God works all things together for the good of those who love him, which means that in any, any situation where we are going through hardship, however small, however large, we know that God is working for our good. And there are times, you can probably think of some, sometimes where we go through something hard and we can kind of join the dots a little bit. Okay? So we might be able to think, I, I realize that I went through this and I recognize that one good thing that God brought from me is he taught me this or this happened, okay? And we probably would be able to think of lots of times where that happens. I think generally, though, that's not the way that lots of suffering and hardship works. I think sometimes we might drive ourselves a little bit crazy if we're trying to find, you know, God, what is the specific thing you're teaching me? We don't always know. 
We've just got to trust God, you are faithful and true always in the midst of the worst and hardest suffering in life. And I know and I trust that you are working all things together for my good, but we're just not going to be able to join the dots. It's, we're going to be perplexed by situations that face us. When we've got unanswered prayers and we're saying, God, why are you doing this? We've got to expect that we're not going to get the answer this side of eternity. There is one thing, though, that 100% of the time God always wants us to do and to do more of when we face suffering, and that is pray. Okay, that is always, like, regardless of whether it is, seems like it's a silly and consequential thing, whether it's a, just a, you know, a long, dark season of walking through hard times, God always wants us to pray. You might know the hymn, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. It says, have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Our first response when we go through any type of difficulty, again, small or big, is we should be saying, God is inviting me to depend not on myself, but actually to turn to him and to seek him. That doesn't mean that we're, you know, we're going to pray and then instantly all troubles vanish because we know that, again, life doesn't work like that. But he is inviting us then into a, a deeper knowledge and relationship with him. He's saying, look, I see all the, the darkness, I see the suffering, and I'm inviting you to come and, and walk closely with me in this time. You know, we think of Psalm 23, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. For the Christian in any situation, particularly in times of hardship and weakness and lack, we know prayer should be our first response and not our, lack, uh, and not our last resort. We can seek God in weakness. And we can also then seek God in worship. Onto the actual prayer, there are seven verses, right, given to what they actually pray at this prayer meeting. I don't think it's a, a full transcript because their prayer meeting was going to last then just like a couple of minutes, basically, and then the Holy Spirit comes in there. I think it probably lasted a little bit longer and there were other things said. But it's interesting to know that of the seven verses in this prayer, two of them, the last two, are given to the, the church, actually asking God for, for boldness and for the Holy Spirit. And then the first five Literally, all they're doing is just addressing God and telling him who he is. All right? They're starting with this attitude of worship. Perhaps much of the time when we feel so like, reluctant, so apathetic about prayer, the reason is because we've lost sight of who we're praying to. I think that's key. Like, if we are thinking, I just can't really be bothered to pray, what's it going to do? I think what has really happened, kind of, that's the symptom of us losing sight of, of God and what he's like, what his character's like. They have got particularly one aspect of God's nature in view as they're praying, and that is God's sovereignty. So that's how they start the prayer. They, they start the prayer, Sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and the earth. And we talk about a, a sovereign, we're talking about an, an ultimate ruler, someone who rules, who has authority, who has power, who has lordship. So King Charles, we would say he's like the sovereign of, the, of this country and, and the commonwealth. He's in charge, he rules over it, he has authority over it. And yet, when we're talking about the sovereignty of God, there is so much, um, there's a much closer difference between me and King Charles compared to then King Charles and God, okay? Because God isn't just king and ruler over some nations. He's king and ruler over the stars and nebulas and whales and oceans and all sorts of things, um, right down to atoms and electrons and protons and neutrons, etc., taking you back to your science lessons. 
Um, and also, it's not like King Charles, where his, his rule, like, I guess it operates today, is, is kind of nominal in a way, isn't it? It's not like we're, King Charles is leading us into battle and we're all going on our horses and following him. Um, King Charles is, is the leader, but actually his, his rule is restricted by Parliament. There's only like, limited things that he can do. And again, that is not what God's rule is like. God tells the oceans in the book of Job, you know, this far you may come and no farther. Like God talks to the oceans and they listen to him and they have to obey him. God talks to, to mountains. He says, here is where you're going to be. He sends snow and rain. If you read the last couple of chapters of Job, you'll see just how like, pervasive that is in everything that, that God does in nature. And in fact, that's what they pray about next. They say, sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Like they're saying, actually, God, your authority extends to absolutely everything that you have made. He is Lord over mountains, oceans, angels, demons, men and women, the devil, everyone. God's sovereignty is what we're singing about. Whenever we sing the song, Jesus over everything, he reigns forevermore. Our song for all eternity, Jesus Christ is Lord, is saying, Jesus, you are over everything. You are completely sovereign. And the question is then, well, how does that, how does God's sovereignty, his, his rule over everything, shape the way that we seek the Holy Spirit? And ultimately, the thing that it gives us when we pray is confidence. Confidence that God is both able and willing to bring, you know, Holy Spirit revival in our hearts and in the hearts of people in our communities as well. We know that because he rules over everything, he is able to bring revival and the Holy Spirit, even the, like the hardest hearts, okay, even, even ourselves. So we should pray for ourselves a lot and ask other people to pray for us because we're very needy and, and we need it. I know that I am, I am so spiritually needy, like two lines from, from hymns that I'm I really like, and, and one of which we sing from um, How Sweet the Name of Jesus Sounds. Gen- genuinely, one of my favorite lines in that song is how weak the effort of my heart and cold my warmest thought. Because I can just sing that and go like, amen. Like, welcome to my experience so much of the time in following Jesus. I've got a, a weak, cold heart, and I don't think these kind of rich, warm thoughts about God so much of the time. Or um, come thou fount of every blessing, says prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. Those are just like lines that really resonate with me because I'm like, yes, I don't know about you, but that is how I feel so much of the time when I'm walking with God. And yet our amazing confidence is that we know that God is sovereign and rules over all things, including our heart, which means that if we are feeling in that place of like lowliness of God, I'm just not really feeling the desire for you, the hunger for you, the hunger for your church, then we can pray and have confidence that God can overcome that. Right, so when I'm at work, I've got a, a desktop, and if there's problems with my computer, then sometimes IT in a way that just blows my mind and I don't understand can take remote control of my desktop. And so I just I put in my password and I sit back and then suddenly the mouse starts moving across the screen and they're suddenly clicking through things and there's this problem that I'm incapable of sorting, but actually they just take control and they, they get on with it and they sort it and then they say, there you go. And actually it's a similar thing that we can ask God to do with our hearts. Yeah, when we look at our hearts and we go, this is out of my control, I do not know how I can stir up this love for Jesus, this infectious passion for Jesus in my heart. As we can pray and we say, God, can you take control? Can you give me the Holy Spirit? Can you awaken desire for you in my hearts? It gives us confidence in praying for ourselves, and it gives us confidence in praying for our communities as well. Because again, when we're thinking about our family, our friends, our neighbors, our colleagues, the people who might seem furthest away from Jesus, we know actually... The book of Proverbs says that the the hearts of kings are in God's hands. And if the hearts of kings are in God's hands, then how much more are the hearts 
of our, of our children and our spouses and our friends and our colleagues and the people who we come into contact with on a day-by-day basis. Like actually, their hearts are held in God's hands. God is completely sovereign. The only reason we are sitting here as Christian believers today is because we were dead in our sin, completely hard in our heart, and God in his sovereignty then made us alive in Christ so that we could see him and we could enjoy him. So we, we, com- we completely know God is able to do the things we're praying. When we're seeking the Holy Spirit, we know God is 100% able to do the things we're praying. And the question then is, well, is he willing? Is he willing to do the things which we're asking? The answer is like a big yes. And that's because, as we'll see in the next couple of verses, in his sovereignty, God is, has already orchestrated, has already made happen the the greatest ever event which confirms that he's committed to saving people and helping our hearts to enjoy him, and that is the cross. And that's where the church go next in the passage. They pray, um, and then they quote from Psalm 2, which says, why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? And so they, they're saying, like, look, just as the, as the Sanhedrin are threatening us, like there are, there are plans, Lord, to, to go against your authority. And then in that psalm, it just said that God sees these, these threats and, and he laughs because he is sovereign over all of them and they can't do anything to touch him. And then they then start talking about, well, what's the biggest conspiracy that's ever been made against God? And that is the, the crucifixion of Jesus. So they prayed, verse 27, Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus. Like Herod and Pilate and the Jews and the Romans, they get together and they conspire against Jesus to execute the the God of life who gives them life and breath and everything. And then the next verse is just staggering. It's something that we wouldn't really even dream about thinking unless it was the fact that the Bible so clearly tells us that this is the case. Because it says, he says that in putting Jesus on the cross, verse 28, they did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. So effectively what the church are praying is they're saying, well, listen, like Herod and Pilate, etc., put Jesus to death on the cross. And in doing that whole thing and executing Jesus, they were just doing what you had decided and planned and intended they were going to do. Now, that's amazing. If we were going to ask the question, like, well, who put Jesus on the cross, right? Well, one answer we could give is it's Pontius Pilate and, and Herod and the Jews and the Romans who actually crucified him. Another answer we'd give, say, it's me and you, because actually Jesus went to the cross to die for our sin and our shame. The most fundamental, ultimate, glorious answer we can give is God put Jesus on the cross, because he looked at us, and in love, he, he sees us, and he's got this tension because he wants to show us love and compassion and grace, but he is also a God of justice, and so he can't ignore the fact that we are, are sinners, and so much of the time we turn from him. And so he's saying, well, I want to show them grace, and, but I need to show justice as well because they're, because they're sinful human beings, and actually God's the one who comes up with the plan. He says, actually, there is a, there's a gap that needs to be met here. Who's going to be the one to fill the gap? I'm going to be the one to fill the gap. And actually, all the time where the, the Pharisees are plotting against Jesus, all they're doing is they are just fulfilling my plan. It's like Herod and Pilate, etc. They are trying to get together. They're like characters in a book or a play. They're getting together. And what they don't realize is actually there's an author who is just writing this whole story for them. Now, why is that important? It's important because it shows that God has already demonstrated his commitment to give us the Holy Spirit because he's already given us Jesus. It shows his commitment to to reach the world and to bring salvation for people in heaven because he's already given Jesus. 
Romans 8.32 says, If God did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Actually, if we're thinking, God, do you really care? Are you really going to give me the Holy Spirit? Are you really going to move powerfully when I pray and I ask you to? And the answer is unequivocally yes. Maybe not all the time in the way that we expect him to because he's a lot wiser than us and that's a really good thing. Okay, but we can always be assured, yes, he is, because he's given us Jesus. He's given us Jesus on the cross. So we can seek God in, in worship. We seek God with a big God of, with a big view of who he is, as the, the sovereign ruler of the universe who can do everything that we, we ask him to do. And then finally, we, we seek him in witness. And that brings us to the, their actual prayer, like what is the thing that they're asking for? And the church pray and they say, Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. So effectively what happens is the church are facing hardship and they take the threats that are made against them by the Sanhedrin and they turn them into prayers to God, which is great. Like we can, we can all do that, can't we? If we're struggling with things to pray for, what is going on in our life? What are the difficult things? And we just turn them into prayers. They pray that God would address the threats of the Sanhedrin. They pray that God would make them bold in the face of persecution. And they pray that God would accompany their preaching of the gospel with with signs and wonders and miracles and healing to show that he's the all-powerful God. I think what we need to not miss, though, is that underneath all of these things which they're praying and they're asking for, there is like a great burden. Okay, There's a great desire that they've got, and that is that they want Jesus to be known. That's their great passion. That's the reason they're praying for boldness. Actually, their prayer really here is, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's the heartbeat of everything that they're praying here. And the obstacle was the authority. So they pray, you know, well, consider their threats. Make us bold because, Jesus, that is going to mean that your kingdom is going to come. Your name is going to be hallowed. Your will is going to be done. And the question is then, well, what does that do for us? How does that shape the way that we seek the Holy Spirit? And the answer is that when we seek the Holy Spirit, we should try to be more of a garden fountain than a puddle. Okay, I hope that's 100% clear from the start. We went to to Dobby's Garden Center in Haven't yesterday. It was the first time we'd been there. There was a soft play, which was amazing. There's all kinds of things. Dobby's have got their own like advent calendar, which you can get. It's got all kinds of sweets in as well. So thoroughly recommended. But um, the, the key thing, though, is that it was raining. It was raining when we went there. And um, one of my favorite things to look at when you go to garden centers is the fountains, because they have these amazing fountains where the water kind of bubbles up. And then they've got these different like, um, spheres or pots where the water then overflows. And so it bubbles up and it goes into this pot and then it pours out because it overflows into this pot, into this pot, and this pot. And the point is we want to be not like a puddle, right? A puddle on the ground, the, you know, it, the water fills and then it eventually dissipates and that's just where it stays. When we're praying for the Holy Spirit, we're not just asking, God, would you give me this great experience full stop? Okay, now that's, we want to enjoy the presence of God and we want to enjoy the presence of God just for the sake of enjoying the presence of God because that's what we're made to do, right? But we don't want to be saying, well, we want Holy Spirit, you to come here on a Sunday morning and fill us and have us to have a great time and then we're going to go and we just forget all about it and, we, and it doesn't ever go to anyone else, right? We don't want to be like that. We want to be like the garden fountain where the Holy Spirit comes and it fills us and then it fills us so abundantly that then it overflows and it starts to reach out and to touch people in our lives and touch our family members and our friends and the people we work with. 
We want to be more like a garden fountain than a puddle. And so when we're praying for the Holy Spirit to come, we're always praying with this like missional outlook. We're praying, God, your name be hallowed, your will be done, your kingdom come. That is the heartbeat of our lives. That's what we're all about. So would you give us the Holy Spirit? And now for the that we kind of then make, we get into the nuts and bolts of that, don't we? So then the early church, they were praying, well, would you look at the threats of the Sanhedrin and would you give us boldness? And actually there are things that we've got to also pray against. You know, what are the things that can stop us from witnessing? I think, I think a big one is comfort. I think we, we are at a big risk of getting comfy as a site because we come and, and generally we just have wonderful times of worshipping God together, which is not a given. That is an amazing blessing. We have wonderful times of like just talking and eating biscuits and drinking tea and, and sharing in grace groups and kids enjoying themselves with each other. And the risk is that we say, oh, this is great, isn't it? And we stop. And we say, right, we're content to just see the presence of God move in here on a Sunday morning and at grace groups, etc. but then it goes nowhere else. We don't want to be a puddle. We want to be a garden fountain. We also then need to pray against discounting ourselves, like sharing the gospel, witnessing to friends, talking about our testimony, offering to pray for people who don't know Jesus is not just for extroverts. It's not just for Christians who come up and share in the microphone. It's not just for people who've got an evangelistic gift. It's for every single one of us. Like all of us can say, this is the grace of God that's been at work in my lives. We can all witness, like bear testimony to what God has done in our lives. You think about the woman in the well, at, at, in the well, at the well of Samaria. That would be a different story. <laughs> you know, she, she's, she's this woman and she's got this awful, like, checkered history and she's a social outcast. She's got no evangelistic training. And then she has an encounter with Jesus and she goes and tells people about what happened and then people get saved. Like, the amazing thing is that we can say it's not down to me. It's not down to my understanding of apologetics, although that might be helpful. It's not down to my you know, being extroverted or introverted, even though that might be helpful sometimes, okay? It's down to, we've got a great God who fills us with the Holy Spirit. We've got a desire for God to fill us boldly so that we can go and speak his words. And so we need to catch this desire for the Holy Spirit to come. You know, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. And is that not what we want? Is that not what we want? Holy Spirit, would you fill us? Would you send us out to speak your word boldly? Like, I'm happy with those two things. Like, if God gives us that, that's it, then great. Like, we'll, we'll take it. And I think it's just a couple of questions to ask us, really, is, is first of all, will we hunger? Will we be hungry and thirsty? You know, when we're talking about being filled with the Holy Spirit and uh, evangelizing and sharing the gospel, we're not box ticking. Oh, we're, not, we're not saying it just so that we, great, you know, there's a box tick on my card and I'm a great Christian now because I talked about my faith at work. That's uh, not the case. Actually, yesterday morning I was reading the Sermon on the Mount and um, Jesus begins with the Beatitudes, one of which is, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled. And the question is, are we hungry and thirsty for the Holy Spirit? Are we hungry and thirsty for God moving in heaven or are we content to stay where we are? If we are content and we're saying, actually, God, I'm not really feeling that hunger for you, then I think two things. One, it might be because we're, we're spoiling our appetite on other stuff. All right, We're just getting so preoccupied with the other things in our lives that we've not got time to you know, seek God in his word and say, God, I want more of you. And then second, we should feel really encouraged to then be able to say to God, like, I'm sorry, I am not hungry for you. I've not got the desire for you at the moment but please would you send your Holy Spirit and would you fill me? That's an amazing prayer. That glorifies God because it shows that yeah, we want him and we're going to pray for that in just a sec. 
Second question is then, will we pray? God is so eager, as we said, to give his Holy Spirit to people who ask him. Jesus says, ask and you will receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open for you. So the question is, like Grace Church haven't, are we excited to ask and to seek and to knock and to keep on asking and to keep on seeking and to keep on knocking until we're filled with the Spirit and until we see people coming and getting to know Jesus and seeing revival come to, to heaven and surrounding areas? I would ask that both like individually and then corporately, like as a site. So corporately, are we willing to pray together? A couple of weeks ago, we had such a good time praying at Guy and Wendy's house. And, um, and the numbers like, are not everything when it comes to a prayer meeting, right? But it's so encouraging when numbers are good. It's just like coming and seeing like people are, are, are desiring to pray. People are eager to come and meet with God. Do you know that even if you don't want to come and actually pray at a prayer meeting, just your presence there is a gift. Like if you're thinking, should I go, should I not go? And we all go through that battle, right, when we're thinking about do we go to a prayer meeting? The answer is actually even you just being there encourages your brothers and sisters in Christ to see actually, look, we're going to come and we're going to pray together and we're going to get excited to God, about God together. And then individually, you know, like, will, you, will you pray for the Spirit? Will you, keep, will you not get discouraged when you're praying for, for friends, family members, for your workplace, etc.? And things don't seem to be happening. Well, you keep saying, God, I'm going to keep asking. I'm going to keep seeking. I'm going to keep knocking. Because in his sovereignty, God might be saying, actually, it's your persistence in prayer that's going to lead me to, to bring salvation to this person or to this group of people. And then the final question is, well, will we go? Will we go? And I mean that in terms of like, will we go and will we speak? Will we proclaim, you know, the gospel boldly? There are a few things in my life which make me feel quite as guilty and ashamed as my lack of personal evangelism. It's always something, people talk about evangelism, and I've got this idea, I'm like, yes, I love the idea, and then when I think about my life in practice with sharing the gospel, I just think, like, what an awful example. And that is generally how I feel. Now, it's not the, like, the unforgivable sin, and I know that you know, we shouldn't feel shame and condemnation, right? But I'm also like, God, I want to see you working in my life, okay? But also it's hard. Again, we've got the massive encouragement that we've got a very normal group of people in this prayer meeting who are asking for the Holy Spirit. And what's the key thing? What changes Peter from being ashamed to talk about Jesus to then he's going and preaching and 3,000 people are getting saved on the day of Pentecost? What changes? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit fills him. The Holy Spirit fills the early church and they go and they proclaim the word of God boldly? Are we looking for opportunities? Are we praying confidently for people who don't need Jesus? I think it's the same with generosity. I said two weeks ago, if we're looking to be generous, we will find opportunities everywhere. And I think, again, if we're looking to to witness about the grace of God in our lives, we will find opportunities everywhere. We need the Holy Spirit. God wants us to give, wants to give us the Holy Spirit. He calls us to seek the Holy Spirit in weakness, in worship, and in witness. And Really simply, I'd love us to finish the meeting now by praying and asking that God the Holy Spirit would come and would fill us. If Simo and, um, and Linda, you could come up and, and play for us. Um, I think when we, when we talk about being prayed for to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and I realize that we are at time, I think we can sometimes kind of make a bit of a big deal of it in our minds. Like we're like, oh, if I'm going to go to the front and ask someone to pray for me, or if I'm going to go to someone, then they might think I've got like these you know, big issues in my life or I'm not a proper Christian. I think we just need to kind of get over some of that sometimes. And we need to go, well, actually being prayed for the Holy Spirit, like I'm happy to pray for people to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to grab, maybe not Thomas, because he's got a whole load of kids on his hands this morning, but I'm going to grab someone and say, can you pray for me to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Because I need more of the Holy Spirit in my life. 
And so just as we, perhaps, can we play this one song? As we just sing together, I want to give the opportunity for us to pray for one another. I guess there's a couple of ways that you can do that. It might be that you're feeling that, just you're feeling that emptiness, like I want the Holy Spirit to fill me. I need the Holy Spirit in my life. It might be you're feeling, actually, I feel like I'm, I'm going great with God at the moment and I want more, in which case you can be prayed for as well. It might be that you just feel your kind of lack of enthusiasm and boldness and witness. Again, in which case you can pray for the Holy Spirit to, to fill you.